matter the dirt that you're ground into. If that coin were found, that gold coin with Caesar's image were found laying in you know, the backyard somewhere, no matter how corroded it had gotten, no matter how full of rust, I don't know, does gold rust, no matter how uh, covered in dirt it was, that gold coin will have value. And the same is true for us. The image of God, without question, was damaged. Um, shoot, I lost my slide. Let me jump to this one. Without question, the image of God was damaged in the fall. Without question. God create His creation was very good. And the image of God was damaged in the fall. He has brought redemption to it and is restoring His creation. Um, okay, so... By the way, why is it that whenever we want to be sophisticated and, um, you know, scientific, we always use Latin? Does anybody know the answer to that? Like, why don't we just say image of God? Why do we? I don't know. But I will admit that in order to sound sophisticated and like what I'm talking about, I'm certainly going to use the Latin here. So uh, you definitely should tell your parents that you're learning about Imago Dei because, they're oh, that's, you know, so... I don't know why, I, honestly, but, but let's just roll with it. Imago Dei sounds so much better than image of God. Um, so if you didn't gather, uh, Imago Dei is Latin for image of God. God created man, Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them, Genesis 1.27. The first book of Genesis is potentially the... Um, um, the, the chapter of the, the highest value in the Bible, the first book of Genesis. And I don't know that I've seen that with the clarity that I do right now. I've been studying for this. Um, the Bible tells a story. I, I started this yesterday. I said, you are going to be familiar with these, uh, with these movements of God, these great, you could call them the, the seasons of, of God's um, uh, story. Uh, the creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Normally, what we find in church is we find a unique focus on two of these. Which two are typically emphasized in, in church? Fall and redemption. Absolutely. We, we rarely hear about creation in terms of the gospel impact of creation, right? And we spend very little time on the restoration side. So typically we camp out on the middle, fall and redemption. Um, we're all about, we're sinners, and we're all about God's love, and that's typically where, where, where we, we end up. Um, as I said yesterday, every person around the globe is trying to answer four questions. Those four questions are, who am I, where did I come from, why in the world am I even here, and where am I going? When it's all said and done, what happens to me? Is the grave the end? Do I come back, uh, depending on how uh, morally upright I was, do I come back as uh, uh, a spider or as a cow or as, um, I don't know, something else? Uh, if you're a Hindu, that's something that would be, would be, that would be their answer to that. Questions that a person can ask about themselves 
are these four questions. Who am I? Where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? The answer to these four questions could be summed up with one word. Anybody know what it is? What's a one, not, not the actual answer, but what the actual answer would be? That is, that, you're, you're right, that's, identity is the word that, that I was thinking. Your answer to these four questions um, would be, we would summarize with the word identity. It would be your identity. Um, and the right identity, if you have the right identity as a person, it will answer these four questions. And every worldview in the world will try to answer these four questions. Check. Just test that. Test. Anytime you hear, a, 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 you know, you're watching a movie or something, watch it through a lens of what is the worldview that's being presented. What are they saying about these four things? Just ask yourself. It's, a, it's an interesting game to, to play. What are they saying about these questions? Now, as I said, the right identity will satisfy all four of these questions. What we learned yesterday is what? What does postmodernism say about these four questions? Nobody knows. Nobody's in control. There is no story. There is no purpose. And so as a result, we have placed a crushing burden on the young people of our generation to manufacture an identity, to pull it out of themselves, as it were, an identity. So is it any surprise that the leading cause of death for 10 to 24-year-olds after um, accidents, you know, car wrecks or whatever, the leading cause of death after accidents, according to the CDC, Anybody want to guess? Suicide. Does that surprise you? And that's not even to consider the great weight of, uh, uh, or the great, I guess, um, epidemic, I should say, of turning towards uh, substance abuse as a way to try to numb the, 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 the pain of purposelessness. The, the meaninglessness of life today is something that we just medicate. Inside of this cultural move that we find ourselves in, um, we have, um, we have a people, we have the evangelists of postmodernism. And they say things like this. Um, uh, the philosopher and professor of bioethics at Princeton, the man who is teaching the next generation of the most influential people in this country. Listen to him. Mr. Peter Singer, we re- when we reject belief in a God, we must give up the idea that life on this planet has some preordained meaning. Life as a whole, he says, has no Meaning. Chance combination of molecules. It evolved through chance mutations and natural selections. All of this just happened. It did not happen for any overall purpose. We're going to hear more from Peter Singer in just a minute. But for now, I want you to listen to another man, another uh, influential man, 
His name is, is uh, his name is Yuval Noah Harari. Kind of a mouthful. Uh, he is an Israeli historian. He is also an atheist. And he says this carefully. Americans got the idea of equality, like human equality, from Christianity. person has a divinely created soul, and all souls are equal before God. However, if we do not believe in Christian myths about God, creation, and souls, what does it mean that all people are equal? According to him, it says, the Homo sapiens, the scientific name for, again, a Latin phrase, the Homo sapiens has no natural rights. This is, this is a bold statement, and I applaud Peter Singer for producing bold statements that are 100% in alignment with his worldview. The Homo sapiens has no natural rights, just as spiders, hyenas, and chimpanzees have no natural rights. In the Supreme Court case Planned Parenthood versus Casey, which is about abortion, if obviously, g- given the names of the, the defendant, uh, Justice Anthony Kennedy, in his closing, re- closing remarks, said this, At the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of life. That's a really profound statement. At the heart of liberty is the, the mystery of human life. Now, apparently, Justice Kennedy had never read or wasn't familiar with a document, one of the most famous documents in the world, um, that in America we call the Declaration of Independence. And I'd say he wasn't familiar with it because of his remarks on the subject, but the Declaration of Independence clearly says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are what? Created equal. That they are endowed by who? Their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. On what basis are you and I and every other person on this globe equals? On what basis? Is it on the basis of our contribution to society? Is it on the basis of the money in our bank accounts? Is it on the basis of the color of our skin? Absolutely not. It is on the basis in the image of God. In Frederick Nietzsche's essay, The Greek State, he writes, Such phantoms such as the dignity of man, the dignity of labor, are the needy products of slavedom hiding from itself. Man, he says possesses neither dignity, nor rights, nor duty. Again, quoting from philosopher Peter Singer, he says, he says, animal liberation is human liberation. He says, you shouldn't say animal to distinguish between human and non-human, because we are all animals. In the early 1990s, he shocked the scientific community by saying that unborn children are human. 
Now, that was shocking because at the time, the scientific community was arguing that abortion should be allowed because the unborn weren't human. Peter said, no, that's stupid. Of course, a man and woman come together and make a baby, even before it's born, is going to be human. So he argued the intellectual uh, 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 um, stupidity of saying that an unborn human wasn't human. But he said they aren't people. He said an unborn child lacks personhood. He said if you don't have consciousness, then you're not a person. He said the value of you as a person should be weighed against your utility to society. It should be weighed against the happiness that you bring to the people around you. Is that unborn child going to bring happiness to the world? If so, it should be allowed to live. Is that unborn child... Uh, does that unborn fail to bring happiness to people? If so, it should be exterminated based on the happiness index. If a baby is already born, he argued, uh, he argued if a baby is already born, maybe after 30 days or so, he's not quite sure. But if the baby still fails to bring happiness, we should be allowed to kill the baby post-birth. This is Peter Singer professor of bioethics at Princeton University. This is not just some random hillbilly in the backwoods of North Carolina making stupid, bold claims. This is the man who is educating the next senator and the next president. And his worldview is impacting the world. It's not hard to understand why and how Singer would arrive at his conclusions when he believed has no more intrinsic value than that of a rat. Why would he not argue the way he does? Peter Singer is living a life that is more consistent with his worldview than most Christians live. You might not like the implications of that, but I believe it's true. But Peter Singer, though he might be new on the scene today, is not coming up with new ideas. In fact, uh, They've just, they're just repackaged ideas in a liberal framework that allow them to be more uh, palatable to our sensitive Western audience. Whenever there have been racial cleansings in the past, Nazi Germany, for example, there's always been an assumption that human life has no intrinsic value. There's no intrinsic value in being human. But a human life only has the value that another human places upon it. Are you seeing the significance, the, the significance of that? Because if I am defining your value, then I can also... The purposelessness, the nihilism, the meaningless, meaningless, meaninglessness of life has no choice but give way to hedonism... And violence. Because at the end of the day, if all that exists is matter and energy, if there's no overarching meta-narrative, no grand reason to exist whatsoever, then why should I not promote myself and my pleasure at the expense of everything or anyone else? Give me one good argument. There are arguments, but all of them fall short at really giving a good reason. In fact, in 
Charles Darwin's book, um, The Origins of Man, there, was, there is a subtitle that you can see there. And I find the subtitle particularly interesting because it's almost never mentioned. Read that. Origin of species by means of natural selection or the preservation of favored races in the struggle for life. Man, that subtitle speaks volumes about the man's worldview. Charles Darwin was born at a unique intersection of time. Obviously, he was in that period of modernity where where people were, were they hadn't, so they, they had replaced God with reason, and now they needed a reason to remove God from the origin of life. So it wasn't necessarily that Charles Darwin's views were all that scientific, or really that they were even good. Uh, many of his theories were proven false even in his own lifetime. Yet they stuck, and they stuck because he filled a void, because there was a need in the scientific community to, to be able to produce a theory that actually seemed scientific about how all of this got to be there. And so Charles Darwin was just the right man. He famously said, at some, point, at some future period, not very distant from now as measured by centuries, the civilized races of man will almost certainly exterminate and replace the savage races throughout the world. This is Charles Darwin. Further, he said, some of these races, such as the Negro and European, are so distinct that if specimens had been brought to a naturalist without any further information, they would undoubtedly have been considered by him as separate species. Unbelievably racist man that is now producing educational material for most people who are educated in this country. Why? Because his worldview had no basis for the inherent dignity of humans. There was no intrinsic value for Char- in Charles Darwin's worldview to be human. Contrast this with what John writes in Revelations, where he says that there's going to be people all around the th- and nation worshiping their king. Christianity brought to the world one of the, the most dignifying messages that has ever been preached. The inherent dignity and sanctity of life. Wherever the Christian message has gone, it has transformed societies as people realize that you and me are created in the image of God, that we have value. We, we need to quit eating our enemies. Darwin also believed that women were not evol- as evolved as men. He said the average mental power in man must be that above, above uh, must be above that of women. You can you can follow this trail of sexism that Charles Darwin began, and you can follow it through to his disciples including the father of social psychology, Gustave Le Bon. He says, even in the most intelligent races, 
there are large numbers of women whose brains are closer in size to that of gorillas than to the most developed male brains. This this inferiority is so obvious that no one can contest it for a moment, he says. Only, Only its degree is worth discussion. Women represent the most evolution and are closer to children and savages than that than to that of an adult civilized man. He says they excel in fickleness, inconsistency, ab- absence of thought and logic, and incapacity to reason. Without a doubt, this man says, without a doubt, he says there exist some distinguished women very superior to the average man. But they are as exceptional as the birth of any monstrosity. For example, he says, of a gorilla with two heads. Consequently, we may neglect them entirely. Now, I had to know after I read this, did this man ever marry? Any guesses? No, he did not. However... This will reveal something incredibly important about his worldview. Laban never married, yet he maintained through his life a series of glamorous tresses. That tells you something about a man. And I want to tell you this. It doesn't just give equality to you and I as equals in humanity. Imago Dei gives female and male value, male and female. Wherever the Christian message has gone through the world, it is no accident that the, the status and value of women has been elevated. Now, culture will not tell you that. Culture will tell you the exact opposite. But just read and study. In fact, the early Roman Empire, uh, most of the, chur- the church was predominantly made of women because it was such an attractive uh, 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 ideology to women. Um, incidentally, the early church was also uh, considered atheist because they rejected uh, the, the, the plurality of gods, which that's not necessarily relevant, but I thought it was very interesting. So the early church was considered atheist and a woman's religion. Even Darwin, uh, I'm sorry, even Darwin and um, uh, Laban's misogynistic and derogatory statements at women were not new. Aristotle actually made the same claims and argued that women were just deformed men. He argued that women were, were, were inferior in about every way. He said they had more teeth. I'm sorry, maybe, uh, no, he said they had fewer teeth. They have fewer teeth, they have hotter blood, and he came up with a lot of other very, very odd statements. But basically... His, 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 his real message about women is that femininity is a deformity. That's what Aristotle, Aristotle argued. And you can go and read this stuff. And it's absolutely fascinating because it's like, what in the world? How, what was your idea about how, you know, human reproduction actually happened? But that's, it makes you ask a lot of questions. But so what is my point? What's my point? Why should I repeat any of these uh, horrible and, and uh, uh, really damnable ideas. 
The reason I'm, I'm repeating those is because in the words of uh, John Stone Street, he says, ideas have consequences. Bad ideas have victims. And I'm going to talk about bad ideas. When we remove Imago Dei from a worldview, there will always be consequences, but normally there's going to be victims when we remove Imago Dei. Either our value as human beings, our value either, listen to this very closely, our value either rests on our IQ, our class, our money, the color of our skin, where we were born, that all things that we determine have value, or it rests in being created in the image of God. Do you see that? And all the talk today about equality... There is no equality without the image of God. There is no equality. Genesis 1, uh, uh, 26, God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the, over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, the earth, and, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Uh, This idea of being made in the likeness of God was continued in Genesis 5. Uh, where, where it talks, I think it's uh, right after the flood or right before it. It says, the book of the generations of Adam, when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man when they were created. Theologians debate, as theologians do, uh, over the exact detail of how. How does humanity bear the image of God? Um, I'm going to hand out a a resource paper tomorrow, and there's a link on there with a wonderful write-up of, you know, various, various, um, uh, from a, from a theologian. Anyway, I'll I'll give it, I'll give you that tomorrow. But, um, there's a lot, there's a lot of agreed, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of an agreement on, on different aspects of being made in the image of God. For instance... Does being made, does our flesh and blood have anything to say about the image of God? What do you guys think? Does the fact that we're flesh and blood have anything to say about the image of God? Any takers on that one? What do you think? Okay, body, soul, and spirit. Um, I, I think absolutely the fact that we are physical beings um, does have something to say about God. I think, for one, I think it says God is not just a consciousness. He's not just a mind. Um, I'm not going to try to explain what God is, but it's no accident that throughout the Bible we have God being described with human terms. For instance, we have God's hand, God's finger, uh, the arm of the Lord, um, the face of God. Uh, uh, what am I missing? The strength of God. Uh, I'm sure I'm probably missing some, some terms in there. But when it's no accident that when God wanted to show what he was like, how did he do it? With a man. 
Not once, but twice. First, Genesis 1, and second, he sent his son. Not once, but twice, God used physical flesh and blood to reveal the likeness of God. In Colossians 1.15, um, it says Jesus is the image of the invisible God. But now, is flesh and blood, the fact that we are flesh and blood, is that all that, that um, is being communicated when we talk about being made in the image of God? And I'm going to say absolutely not. Um, one important thing that's being communicated, the creation, inside of Genesis 1, we, it says, as you can see here, God blessed them. He said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over it. What is God doing in this? God is giving you a command of everything he just been doing. He's inviting you into the continuation of his creative work. Theologians call this the creation mandate. We are called into carrying out God's work in the world. And uh, uh, to, to continue this, um, being fruitful, multiplying. Who had done all the creation up until that point? God had. And now God invites his representatives on earth to go and be fruitful, to multiply, uh, to have dominion over the fish and the sea and birds. Uh, so he, he delegated his creative and ruling power to mankind. So that's one way in which we share in the image of God. The, um, uh, um, I think, have, have you ever stopped to wonder that around the world, there's a concept of justice. Why would we care about justice? If there's no meta-narrative, if we're truly just matter and energy, how would we even know a thing like justice? Or, 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 or why is it that in the oldest societies through, world, through the world, we find a concept of God? Why, why would that be? We um, have ever even invented the idea of God if there is no God. Uh, um, uh, who is that guy? C.S. Lewis uh, makes this argument uh, very well, very, very compellingly in um, American Christianity. Um, why is there an ache in every human heart? There is an ache to be known, to be connected, to be loved, to be accepted. Where does that ache come from? Can science explain that ache? Can, can that ache just come from, from, as Peter Singer says, just chance mutations? Why would that even exist? There's no, there's no good reason for that. Unless, potentially, we're made in the image of God, which says something about relationship and love and justice and meaning. Being made in the image of God is to share in the attributes of God, like love, creativity, procreation, Morality and relationship. Nothing in the world is as dignifying as someone looking into your eyes and saying, I know you and I love you. But why would that be if we're just matter and energy? Why would we care about love at all? Where would that idea even come from? When God invited... uh, when God invited his image on earth to share in his creative power, there's something else that he gave us that I think makes us 
is part of this Imago Dei, this image of God. Part of Imago Dei is the freedom to say no. The freedom to reject it. The image of God in you is one of the most dignifying aspects of your humanity and also one of the most humbling. It sets us apart from all of the rest of God's creation. No other thing in God's creation did God said, after my likeness and in my image did I create it. No one else. Um, contrary to what Peter Singer says, we are not just animals. After giving permission to kill animals, God said in Genesis 9-6, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? Why did God say that? I don't think I have this one in my... Uh, he says... Uh, he says, uh, a man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. That's why we don't eat each other. And just in case you need to know. Because we're made in the image of God. That's why we can go and shadir and feel good about having it for dinner. But we don't do that for our enemies. Um, we may be mammals. And it's okay to consider ourselves mammals. But we are not just mammals. We are made in the image of God. One of the most dignifying and humbling aspects of our humanity. The Imago Dei is one of the most earth-shattering but neglected truths of the Christian worldview. One of the most neglected but earth-shattering truths of the Christian worldview. Now listen, everyone shares in this image of God. It doesn't matter how far you are from Christ. You bear an image of God in you. Yes, it's covered in dirt. Yes, it needs redemption. But it is still there. But as Christians, we get to share the one time, but two times. In 2 Corinthians 3.17, uh, Paul says that God is a spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we are all with an unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord and are being transformed from one image to another degree of, uh, into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is a spirit. I used to think that the only aspect of being made in the image of God was the fact that, um, you know, Genesis 1. And then one day I was reading John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. I realized, Wow. It's not just that we were made in the image of God that gives humanity value. But it's the fact that we are redeemed by God that gives humanity value. Uh, Colossians 1.15 says, uh, uh, sorry, wrong, wrong verse, 3.10, the one that's on the screen. Don't lie because we put off the old self with its practices and we put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. As Christians, we believe we're created in the image of God. We believe that all creation is under a curse. But we also believe that just as we bore the image of the man of dust, so we're going to bear the image of the man of heaven. That we can be freed from the curse and we can experience a rebirth 
and a remaking which brings restoration to God's image. In creation and in salvation, we find God imparting incredible dignity are made in the image of God. You have purpose. You have value. Yes, you've messed it up. But you are loved and you are redeemed. And there is a reason for you to exist outside of your own feelings and your own emotions. There's a bigger story. Think for a moment about your personal quest for identity. What time am I supposed to be finished? I don't even know where, I, where I'm at. How long have I been up here? All right, all right. So, okay, think for a moment. Your own personal... Anybody need to stand up? You getting sleepy? Stand up if you need to. Move around. It's fine. You're not going to hurt my feelings. Think. Okay, so I've got 20 more. Is that what you're saying? All right. Listen, think for a second. I'm going to, I'm going to try to wrap this up. I, I, I'm, I'm going to be sensitive of this. So um, I want you to think about your own quest for identity. Eric talked about that this morning. He said, or just before I came up, he said, he said what did you say? You said, everything I wore said something about me, right? Think about that. Think about your quest for identity. What's that look like in your life? For, I was thinking, I was trying to think, how would I have answered that at 19? And I think, honestly, my quest for identity was I, the more rebellious I could be, the more I would be aligned with the person that, I, that how I wanted people to see me. That's just the way, I, that was the drive in my heart. Um, um, I, the things we do to be noticed say a lot about us. Anybody want to hear anything? What have you done to form an identity? Anything on the top of your head? I didn't hear what you said, and I can't even tell who was talking. Tried really hard to be a good... That's great. Tried really hard to be a good girl. What else? A career. Absolutely. Those are on point. There's a lot. I was reading Daniel, um, uh, I don't know, a few weeks back. And you guys remember the story of Daniel. Uh, this angel shows up to Daniel, and he, and he told Daniel this. He says, Daniel, you are greatly loved. And I was like, whoa. But he didn't just do it once. Multiple times through the book of Daniel, an angel shows up to Daniel and says, hey, you are greatly loved. What would it do for you if you could receive those words relayed to you by a heavenly messenger, a man who is clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold, with a body like uh, burl, a face like lightning, eyes like flaming torches, and arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound uh, and his voice sounding like a multitude. And he said, listen, I don't even know how you... <laughs> you are greatly loved. What would that do, what would that do for you? That would be, that'd be a moment, wouldn't it? Matt 
yesterday. Uh, he's been doing this from time to time. He's been stealing. He's been looking at my notes and stealing ideas. And and he grabbed one of my verses. He says, "This is this is this is God Almighty, your Creator." And he says, "Thus says the Lord, who created you, who formed you. Fear not. I've redeemed you, and I've called you by name, and you're mine." That's what God says. He says a lot more than that. But what would it change about you? It's just new, deep in the core of your soul, that I am loved. And I've been stamped with an image of God. How would that change the way you reacted in defensiveness to the person who ticked you off? How would it change the barbs that have landed deep inside your soul if you knew that you were created in the image of God? That you have purpose, that you have value. You know who you are. You know why you're here. You have questions. But man, the foundation, it's settled. You're created in the image of God with dignity. Uh, Our value either rests on weight of our utility, our class, our IQ, our accomplishments, or it rests in the fact that we share the stamp of the Almighty God. It isn't because of my utility that I have value, my body image that I have value. It's because of what's true about me, what is true S about me. Um, man, I had so much more I wanted to go through, um, but I, I really just feel like I need to, um, I had some really good stuff that I wanted to cover, but um, I, I think I've, I, I've made my point, so I'm going to stop. Um, but I want to say a couple, two more things. Can you give me two more? Um, I want you to think about this, that the first step to take whenever we're going to engage in violence against another human being, the very first step is to make them less human. And you see this all over the place. Um, in fact, I mentioned, I've mentioned cannibalism a couple of times. There's a reason that people don't eat their own tribe. They, they eat the enemy. And it's because the enemy is less human. Now, some know that much about cannibalism, but that's what I've been told. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, um, but listen, think about all the ways. Think about the ways that we have made a, a certain demographic or people group less human, even, even in our lo- own lifetime. Um, it's, 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 uh, it's the Democrats. Right? They're a little less human. It's, it's, the, it's the liberals. Um, um, it's uh, whoever. I mean, p- pick your, your, your whatever. I mean, there's even in conservative Christian circles, we still have this way of stripping away dignity of God or st- stri- stripping away the image of God to make someone a little less human so that we feel better about engaging in violence against them. And that violence might just look like nasty things on Facebook. Right? But, but that is no different than what has been done throughout centuries as we've removed the image of God from a group of people. Maybe it's the unborn. We make them less human so that we feel good about slaughtering them. Is that, you guys tracking with me? In order to engage in violence, the first thing that we have to do is remove the image of God. Or it's women, like um, 
those, the crazy stuff I was reading earlier. Remove the image. We feel good about treating women in subhuman ways. Lots of different ways this happens. Um, um, all right. That, <clears throat> I want to close. Um, and, and, and this is not the way I was originally planning to close until this morning. And this morning during worship, I realized that I completely missed something from this talk. I missed the last stage, the restoration. You see, uh, mm. I'm just trying to figure out where to go here. Um, There is a move in culture today to remove the image of God. Um, whether that comes in the form of, of, of um, what is now the sixth leading cause in Canada, which is euthanasia, or whether it comes in the form of, of outright violence, um, there is a move to remove the image of God. Um, and what I want to say today is you might be, you, you, you have, um, you could be a quadriplegic. You could have a mangled body. The image of God brings incredible value to you. You could be raised in a horrible home. You could have the worst lies spoken over you known to man. And yet the image of God brings incredible dignity and value to you. And I have no idea what lies that you may have walked in here believing about yourself. The ways that you feel like you have mangled the image of God to a degree that it can never be restored in your life. But I want to give you reassurance that the image of God is stamped firmly into your identity. How much shame is there in the image of God? A little bit. I don't think there's any. There's no shame in the image of God. And you know, let me tell you something else. You are not that amazing. That made some people look at me. You're not that amazing. But the image of God in you is. And God is jealous to pursue the image of his own image in you. That is why he's breaking down walls to get to you. It's because he left his image in you and he's coming after it. That's why he wants to redeem you. Because your image, his image, is in you. And he wants to redeem it. Our enemy loves to sow seeds of doubt, of disbelief, of anger. God doesn't love me. Where's God at? I must be broken beyond repair. Psalm 139. This is actually the verse that uh, Matt stole from me. I thought it was the other one, but it's this one. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. Why? Because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Why? Because your image is stamped on my soul. Incredible stuff. This is so good. Uh, God has called you. Every single person in this room 
God has called you to pick up the torch of restoration and join him in this restorative work of bringing forward his image in humanity. Restoring his image in humanity. It's of high and noble calling. And I hope that it's compelling. I hope it's exciting to you. All right, I got to wrap it up. Uh, thank you for listening so well. Uh, 